Welcome to the Eureka podcast. Our mission is to bring the Icelandic business community the latest and greatest in technology evolution. Everyone is trying to move from an analog world to a digital world. And so we interview leaders from across the world to help Iceland stay at the forefront of technology innovation. Today, I'm interviewing Bernard Golden, CEO of Navica, but sort of a grandfather of the cloud. He's been around for a long time. And through that depth of understanding and duration in the industry, he'll be able to tell us how companies are maximizing the benefits that can be had from the cloud. So, hey, hey, Bernard, how are you you doing? I'm very well. Thanks. uh, Thanks so much for asking. And thanks so much for inviting me to be on your podcast. Indeed. And uh, you're sitting there in sunny California. Is that right? Beautiful Silicon Valley. Fantastic. Not so beautiful these, uh, at the moment because we've had all these fires that have been uh, really throwing off a lot of smoke and, of course, have created a lot of damage, a lot of disruption. Um, nothing uh, threatens where we live particularly, but, you know, it's a, it's a tough, tough time for the state. Yeah, we, uh, there's, a, there's a lot going on in, in the America. I think we, we're expecting the clippity-clop of the four horsemen. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, but uh, uh, w- w- when there's not fires going on with all the smoke and, and all of the stuff with that, yes, beautiful Silicon Valley. Oh, I love, I love, I love, I love California. So, so uh, Bernard, tell us a little bit about your, uh, your background and how you ended up as CEO of Navica and, and advising startups and established businesses in, in sort of cloud technologies. Sure. Well, as I said, I live in Silicon Valley. I've worked in the software industry my entire career and um, have always worked kind of on the forefront of emerging technologies, which makes sense because Silicon Valley um, is like that. And about, um, gosh, it's 2007 now, I was writing a book, Virtualization for Dummies. And as part of that, encountered this new thing from Amazon they just launched called Amazon Web Services. Hadn't even started nobody had started using the term cloud computing even at that particular moment but i saw that it was going to profoundly transform the tech industry because it was changing infrastructure from something physical and very um static to something that was software based and very dynamic and i knew that that would completely transform everything about how tech was being done. And so I really threw myself into it because I, I recognized that it would be profound implication. And I would say that I think in a way I didn't really grasp how big the transformation would become because it was, it was clear it was going to change the way IT, you know, sort of IT groups and so forth. But it's really had a profound transformation in the way businesses are operated. I mean, if you just think about companies like Netflix. Netflix couldn't exist without cloud computing. Um, and, you know, mainstream industries are now doing it as well. So, it's you know, it's been a profound thing. That's how I got into cloud computing and started working in it and have worked in a number of uh, startups that uh, focus in the area. And um, most recently, I've been working with companies as uh, on a consulting basis, either helping startups who have very uh, leading kinds of technology that they're bringing to market, basically, how do they bundle it up so that it can be absorbed, how adopted, or working with enterprises that are under a lot of pressure, frankly, to 
respond to these kind of Netflixes or whatever you want to say in their industries, how can they sort of get the genie out of the bottle about using cloud computing effectively? Yeah, I, I guess everyone's in a fight not to be Ubered or, uh, or Netflixed. Yeah, that's the that's that's the that's the, that's the um, that's the phrase of the hour. Yeah, indeed, indeed. So, uh, so today we're gonna we're gonna cover five questions that you, you you thought would be good for the the audience. So, first one is uh, reasons why companies should adopt a cloud strategy. Uh, then we're gonna talk about some first good applications to move to the cloud. Uh, then we're gonna look at what should organizations do to prepare for a move for the cloud. So uh, from a people perspective, from a, from a process perspective, uh, and then how companies that already have uh, some parts of their business in the cloud, how they can expand that. And last but not least, the security challenges. Uh, it used to be the, uh, the, the bad guys were trying to break in the door. Then they tried to break into the phone lines to get into your servers. And now they're, they're attacking the cloud. So, uh, so, 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 so Bernard, take us away in terms of why, what, what would be your, your compelling argument as to why companies should begin to move their operations into the cloud? Well, as I said, you know, the, in a way, I underestimated what cloud computing would, would become because I saw it as a technical transformation, which I knew would be very powerful because tech is a huge part of every business. I did not fully grasp how profoundly that capability would move into general business. And so, you know, the cliche is software is eating the world or every company is a technology company. And so the reason for businesses to really grasp and start and embrace cloud computing is they're now competing with the best of people applying technology. And you just use the phrase Uber or Netflix or whatever the phrase is. Every business now faces the challenge that there might be an entrant who becomes better at using software to restructure their business operations, restructure the way they do business, restructure the way they serve customers. And it's kind of like, um, you know, you've got to keep up with them or, you know, you're, you're going to be seen as an also ran. Um, you know, I, I, I'm sorry, I was just to say, I often use an analogy of the auto industry and Henry Ford. And basically, cloud computing is analogous to when Henry Ford invented mass production. And before Henry Ford, you know, there were many, many, many little tiny, there were many auto companies that basically operated in a very manual process. They a pile of parts and some people would walk around with them. After Henry Ford got his thing going, it was basically, you need to be a mass production comp, uh, firm or you're out of business. Right. And so it really profoundly transformed the rules or, uh, the, or the foundations of, that, of being in that business. Cloud computing is doing that to every business because software is underlying yeah. so many uh, business processes. And, and I guess a, a common misconception with moving to the cloud is let, let's just move our storage. Let, so it's, the misconception is often let's just move our IT infrastructure into the cloud. What you're saying, it's not about just moving infrastructure. It's trying to move your operations and the way you deliver to customers into the cloud. Well, a lot of people start with a kind of so-called lift and shift model. Let's just take our traditional applications that were built under the old assumptions and move them into the cloud. And uh, to sort of go back to this uh, Henry Ford analogy, um, you know, one of the things that he did that was so brilliant 
was he didn't just say, I'm going to automate the way I um, manufacture automobiles. He reached back into his supply chain and said, oh, I'm going to start really streamlining the way I get parts. And I'm going to start, um, you know, designing my automobiles so they could be better design, better manufactured. And so it was a, it was just not, it was not just the way people screwed parts together. It was the whole thing. And so a lot of companies say, well, the way I used to do IT was it was very physical. I had to get servers in. Everything was very static and very stable. We didn't change it very often. I'll just take that, that approach and put it up in this cloud thing. And um, you can certainly do that and realize some benefits, although many of them find they sort of, they sort of go, well, I've moved this thing to the cloud. How come magic hasn't happened with my applications? And it's, well, you know, companies like Netflix, and Netflix is a, is a really prime example, you know, they've restructured the way they design their applications, the way they operate them, the way they monitor them. They've, it's really kind of soup to nuts. And if you really want to get all the benefit, that's the approach you need to take. So you can start with a lift and shift, and then you get into what I would call um, digital transformation. Right. So, so, so what you're telling me is that it's actually not the move to the cloud. It's how you then reconfigure the applications that you've got to, to work optimally within the cloud. Well, your, yes, your applications, and that really involves things like what components you use, what processes you use in terms of app, managing the application lifecycle, the way you structure jobs. It's a, it's a very far-reaching kind of transformation. That sounds like a lot of hard work if I'm to try and get some benefits from it. Well, I mean, as I said, you can start with lift and shifts. You can start incrementally, and I always encourage people to do it. Um, you know, uh, I would say if you, if you aspire to become the Netflix of your industry – or to compete with whoever is going to be the Netflix for your industry, then you've got to do what they do. And that, you know, sort of going back, it was kind of like if you wanted to compete with Henry Ford, you had to really embrace everything there. You couldn't okay. just say, well, you know. Um, so, um, so what would be the first good applications to move to the cloud then? Well, typically and traditionally, the applications that people have started with are the ones that are most digitally um, capable, the ones that have the least impact on the rest of their existing estate of applications. So oftentimes that looks like digital marketing initiatives um, because those tend to be, um, you know, you don't typically have to reach back into your existing ERP system or something like that. They often have um, characteristics that are very, uh, very attuned with with the cloud. So, for example, um, you know, cloud computing makes it very easy to get lots of resources for a short period of time, and then and then basically release them and hand them back to the cloud provider. So, if you've got a marketing application tied to a particular event, think, um, you know, in Britain it'd be like tied to maybe Glastonbury. Okay. Or the FA Cup final. You know, you're going to get huge traffic for a period of three days or a week or something like that. And so cloud computing is very well attuned for some sort of marketing initiative around that. And here in the States, Super Bowls are often, you know, that sort of thing, the, the right. American football championship. So those kinds of applications, ones that are not tied back a lot, um, ones that have kind of uh, peaks and valleys, and so forth. Those are very good applications. Right. And I guess when you have the, 
the peaks and the valleys, that gives you the ability to sort of buy on demand rather than having to buy 365 days a year for that peak that you may experience once a year. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And that's why those are good first applications. Okay. And is that when businesses start realizing some of the cost savings is when they focus on those applications first? Because it's, that's where they actually release a lot of hardware and, and are able to sort of buy what they need when they need it. Well, if they run a, you know, sort of a traditional way versus doing the cloud, they for sure recognize that because they sort of say, well, what would we have to have done if we did this ourselves the way we used to do it? Oh, well, to meet the Super Bowl peak demand, we, of course, we need to buy $3 million worth of servers, which the day after the Super Bowl are effectively doorstops. And they sort of go, wow, that's a, that's a huge thing. And, and of course, there's you know, other benefits because you don't have to make a capital investment, which has uh, balance sheets effects and so forth. So, um, yes, those, that's, so again, those are, those are very good first, sort of first flush kinds of applications because you get the benefits of it and you also avoid the downsides of doing it the traditional way. Right. Fantastic. And, and obviously, Arico, we do a lot of business with the, uh, with the retail industry. What, what would typically the first applications a retail organization move into the cloud? Well, again, you know, they, they all have, retailers always have um, marketing events tied to, you know, uh, particular events or, you know, they call out of seasonality, mm-hmm. you know, um, holidays or uh, back to school, um, you know, those sorts of things. Those are very good kinds of things. They have they have promotions and so forth. Um, that makes uh, perfect sense. And then, of course, most of them are, you know, very strongly moving toward e-commerce, particularly, you know, that's all been heightened during this time of COVID where companies have, you know, they thought, oh, we'll be selling this much online by 2030, and that's happened in the course of three or four months. And so a lot of um, retailers embrace cloud computing for their e-commerce efforts because, again, they, you know, they get huge demand. They get spikes in demand. They want to be able to uh, respond to those, you know, very uh, quickly and very nimbly, which, frankly, is not the characteristics you associate with the traditional on-prem, you know, big iron kinds of things. And And so so e-commerce is a good one. You mentioned Henry Ford looked at the whole supply chain. So if I'm a retail organization and I run my operations from the cloud, does it make it easier for me to then go down my supply chain to say the distribution network, the people that deliver the clothes or the people that, that make the clothes and begin to think like the, my, my cloud operations and integrate with my suppliers' sort of cloud operations? Well, for sure. I mean, and, you know, of course, there's specialized software that naturally enough runs in the cloud to enable people to get all the participants in their supply chain to participate so that they, you know, what's, where's that order sit? Or what is the volume of orders? Or, you know, give us your forecasts so you can, um, uh, you know, get a sense of what's going on. Um, as I mentioned, the initial efforts tend to be things that don't reach into the, into the like, the, the internal operations, like ERP and so forth. But when okay. you start to move to the supply chain, it definitely does 
typically end up tying into your ERP system or your suppliers or your distribution partners' ERP systems. Um, that's when you start getting into a more uh, thoroughgoing kind of cloud computing strategy. Okay, fantastic. And so, uh, so I mean, I don't meet many leaders that say cloud is a bad idea, but but yeah. many go like, where do I start? How do I? How do I? What do I need to do to prepare my organization for a move to the cloud? Sure. Well, we've talked about the kinds of applications, and in terms of if you want to embrace cloud computing, and I'm talking about not the lift and shift, because many organizations start there, which is you know perfectly understandable and perfectly okay, but they typically will say, "I'll just keep my processes as they exist." the way I actually develop and deliver software unchanged and so forth, which is fine. But if you want to prepare for a more thoroughgoing approach, obviously you need education. You need to uh, train, the, get people training your your staff on how to use the cloud, how to use it effectively. So that's, you know, prerequisite. But then you have to sort of look at your, and people refer to it as their internal supply chain of software. How do I, you know, how do I, how do I manage that to be efficient? And this is the equivalent of Henry Ford sort of saying, I'm going to optimize my entire supply chain. You start doing that internally. So once somebody creates some code and checks it in, how does it get tested? And how does it get handed off to the uh, group that is actually going to build what's going to get deployed? And then how do you get it deployed? All of those have traditionally been quite manual steps um, and, you know, sort of uh, bucket brigade handoffs often referred to as silos, you know, so it goes from okay. one group to another. Well, you start to say, how do I automate across them? How do I use a common uh, set of tooling that can run those, run through those things in an automated fashion? Those are, And so you've got to start looking at your process. That involves typically, you know, examining, well, how do I do these things? What are the options that I have that can be, that can speed that up? And, and what you know, that's tools, just sort of are, a... What are the tools, both sort of uh, analog and digital, that companies employ to facilitate that? Because that, that in itself is, for many IT functions, is a, is a transformation to go from sort of the bucket handling uh, through to a, a conveyor belt. Well, yes. and I mean, it, in some senses, it's maybe a bigger transformation. Um, you know, so you start to look at, uh, typically a company would say, how do we handle code management? And you'd look at a product like Git, which is a, uh, you know, a code management. Uh, okay. And, and that has effects on the way people write and check in code into that. And then oftentimes people often refer to it as Git ops, which is sort of a phrase meaning code gets checked in. How does that automatically drive to do a fresh build of the software? So okay. take all the components and, and bundle them up, um, you know, and then how, and then they start saying, well, how can I run automated tests against that so that, you know, it doesn't wait for somebody to install it and start banging on a keyboard. Right. And, you know, those are the kinds of processes and the process changes that people do. Um, I, I want to say it's important, you know, particularly if you have ambitions, if you aspire to become a, a Netflix thing, but I don't want somebody to say, well, gosh, that sounds like a lot of work. I don't want to do any of it, or I don't even want to get started. I mean, you can partition this work very much to sort of say, how do I incrementally gain benefits? Um, you know, and this is this is just like if you say, I want to run a marathon, you don't start off by saying, well, I'm going to do 26 miles my first time out. You say, 
I'm going to run a, a mile or two miles. And then you gradually improve and get better. And that's that's sort of attitude to take with this. And I guess, well, I guess there's also an element of efficiency. So I uh, was part of a tech startup a couple of years ago. And I was with my co-founder and we were talking about, right, well, we've got one developer. Let's get two and we'll do twice as much. And he was like, no, 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 no. Uh, two developers does not mean twice the productivity. And 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 I guess given the scarcity of talent to develop code, the, 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 the difficulty of getting really good uh, IT professionals, driving efficiency through less bucket handling and more value add work, is, is there's significant benefits for businesses to have on that. Yeah, well, in part, that's why companies are embracing cloud computing. They let Amazon or Microsoft or Google do all the stuff of, you know, oh, I've got to get servers and I've got to, you know, configure them and rack them and stack them and connect them. And I've got to, you know, install the virtualization software. They they let somebody else who's an expert at that do that. So they can really focus on what's important to their business. And Netflix is a great example of this. Netflix is very capable technically, but they rely for their infrastructure on AWS so that they can focus on build, you know, creating and delivering great entertainment, great content. And so the more that you sort of look to the specialist for that, for things that are available in an automated fashion, the more you can focus your scarce talent on what really makes you a business, yeah. what really makes you, you know, what do you bring to the marketplace? That's, that, and that's what you really want to focus on. And once you start using tools like Git, you're in effect moving your development to the cloud anyway, right? I, I guess because that's that's all all those tools are based in the cloud, the automatic testing sort of processes, et cetera. Right. And then and then of course, you know, where you will focus your attention is how do I integrate those and how do I integrate my process to those so that you know we're streamlining our process. Mm-hmm. Again, you you know, because you can be just as ineffective or just as inefficient, I should say, using automated tools if you still insist on manual handoff bucket brigade type okay. approaches. So it's really then how do I make sure that my organization and my processes marry to those automated tools to get the the automated throughput all the way through? Yeah, and I guess those businesses that allow the, the a bottom-up approach to trying to build that best practice and process, do they get more success? Because it's, I guess, the, the, the younger developers are maybe more digitally native and thinking about the way those things work, where the CIO or the CTO is maybe more traditional and likes the look of those buckets. And when he sees people carrying buckets, he knows everyone's working hard. Well, I, I would agree, and I but I would also add something to that, which is, yes, you want you want the people who are the actual doing the work, the hands-on and so forth. You want them very involved in selecting and implementing. And, you know, that's because they're going to do a great job. They have domain knowledge, but it also, you know, they, then they have ownership of it, right? It's not imposing them. Um, so I think that part's right. You want people who are, who are domain experts who will be working with it to, to be very involved and very engaged. Um, what I often find in organizations is actually the top management is gung ho for this, really because yeah. they're yeah because they're you know they're in a business and they're hearing um, 
you know, we've got to compete with XYZ company, you know, and oh, wait, what's the way to do it? Oh, well, we need to get digital transformation. That's a, that's a phrase that's used a lot. We need to digitally transform our business. The challenge in the bottleneck for this is often sort of the so-called middle management, um, the, you know, the middle, the middle layers that for a variety of reasons find this disruptive, find it disconcerting, are concerned with, you know, well, that's all great, but, you know, I've got to get this job that I'm responsible for X, Y, Z. How is this going to mess that up? I, I, so, guess, I guess part of that's like 90% of their capacity is taken up with making sure the wheels keep turning on what they've got. So it's sort of, do you, do you want to risk? Would you rather keep fixing a broken machine, but it always works rather than risk it stopping? Yeah. And so, you know, the role for top management is often to um, be aware of and set the direction, and, but then to commit to it and support it. And how do they support those middle managers that are maybe feeling reticent to, to really engage with it? Well, typically, um, I mean, there's the carrot and then there's the stick. And the carrot is, I'm going to give you some additional budget or I'm going to relieve you of some of this or I'm going to prioritize these things and measure you by them. Um, and, you know, those those are ways to do that. The stick is, you know, the traditional, you know, this is this is going to be your measurement criteria and uh you know shape up or ship out and some you know um and and i generally don't recommend a sort of a uh, you know uh, a harsh approach to that because you know that's just you know that that works maybe once but you know the old phrase about uh you know the beatings will continue until morale improves you just end up with a place that people don't like and then you suffer so um, in Iceland, we got uh, like we're a small island. We've got a limited population. You don't want to be become like everyone will know if you're a bad employer quite quickly. So, well, that's uh, true. That's very I, true. I, and I spend a lot of time in the in the recruitment industry, and I know from speaking to IT recruiters is that the individuals that work in IT want to be developing their skills for the future rather than staying in legacy. And so, if you want to attract the best talent and retain the talent you've got, giving them access to sort of the future technologies and be part of a transformation is is an easier way to attract and retain than saying yeah we've got a legacy system uh it's it's got it's got a it's got a black screen with green writing i hope you're good at that well for sure i mean the people who are drawn to the field typically you know are very curious very inquisitive um you know love working on new things often look at it as a their job as an opportunity to grow and learn and for sure, providing them opportunities to work on, you know, current and emerging technology is very motivating. Okay, great. And so, so I'm really conscious of time. We try and keep these these, these podcasts yeah. short and sharp. Uh, companies that are already in the cloud, uh, what should their strategy be to expand the cloud across their, their organization? Well, you know, we've really talked about that, which is you sort of sort of incrementally go back and say, where, what are areas that we can be more efficient? What part of, our, part of our development process can we automate or can we accelerate? Um, a good thing is to sort of say, okay, we've, we've moved compute and storage and network into the cloud. 
what other services do these cloud providers offer that we could leverage that could shift more of what needs to get done to them and let us focus more and more of our effort onto what we want to do. So sort of incrementally examine areas for improvement. And, and the cloud providers, the pace of innovation coming out of them is unbelievable. And so really remaining aware of that and embracing it is a good way to continue your cloud journey, if I can use that how phrase. Are, how are healthcare providers moving things into the cloud? What sort of, what sort of strategies are they taking? Well, they're... Um, just like everyone, you know, their customers are, you know, hey, it takes me two minutes to sign up to XYZ. Why does it take forever with you? Why do I have to, you know, why do I have to, I mean, I don't know if this is the case where you are, but there are still healthcare providers around here that are like, could you fax me that? It's like, what? You know, why don't I just send it over by Pony Express? Um, And so, you know, they're, but they are experiencing that same kind of expectation. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they're under a lot of uh, pressure. And so the, the kinds of things that they, I think your question was, you know, sort of what are they doing around this? Yeah. Just, well, I, I guess, you know, in, I know, I know where, where I live, they, you can book a, you can book an appointment with your doctor online. You can order a repeat prescription online. Uh, it'll ping you when it's ready. Uh, so you can see how they're trying to sort of, make it easier to to do the boring stuff, I guess. Yeah. And, you know, um, again, coming back to this COVID thing, it's a tremendously accelerated telemedicine. You know, again, you know, sort of like the old model was, well, I get in the car and I drive down to where the doctor is and then maybe I wait in the waiting room and then, you know, see him or her and so forth to have a discussion. And, you know, now, um, you can you can do that visually, and it's much more efficient for everybody's sake. Um, you know, the next frontier for many of them is going to be, um, you know, uh, wearables and so forth, so that you can check vital signs and mm-hmm. so forth. And then, um, you know, I, as I said that at the beginning of our conversation, what has been amazing to me is how much this cloud and technology is really infused into all parts of the business. And really, you can see that in healthcare in the kinds of services and tools that they offer. I mean, every time I go to the doctor, they say, well, we'll, you know, we'll do X, Y, Z. I said, so how did you do that 10 years ago? They go, oh, yeah, we, we had a much less efficient way to do it. Now we have this new Wizzo Bango thing. And um, so that technology, and much of it is, uses these kinds of new capabilities that we've been talking about, this sort of streamlined um, development cycle plus yeah. cloud computing um all of those things are having an impact into healthcare and 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 we move on to the final topic which is sadly in the world there is bad guys and, and one of the uh nervousness on behalf of organizations in moving to the cloud is things become less secure uh yep. it doesn't rest with them so what are things companies should consider when they think about security and and their cloud sort of uh, infrastructure well, Amazon makes – when they discuss security with their users, and I think it, this is really uh, the case also with the other big cloud providers, they, they um, say, you know, security is a shared responsibility. The end-to-end response security of the overall thing that you deliver is shared. We have to deliver secure computing facilities. 
We have to ensure that no one can hack into our network. We have to ensure that, um, you know, that uh, our storage is, um, you know, can be encrypted and so forth. So they, they have their responsibility. But many of the things that you and I might say associate with security really lie in the area or in the responsibility of the, of the, of the, of the user of the technology, not the end user, but the organization. So for example, coming back to your healthcare example, um, you know, Microsoft can say, well, we're going to make sure that that storage is secure, that nobody can get at it, that nobody can hack into it. You know, that's our responsibility. But in terms of the application that visualizes x-rays, they can't possibly put in, you know, appropriate uh, user security for how a user gets into it. And if I can draw an analogy, you know, you can have the best email security in the world if you're an email provider. But if somebody uses a password of one, two, three, four, five, you know, there's, there's no way for them to solve that problem. That's something you have to do. And the challenge many organizations do is they they understand the responsibilities the cloud provider has, but they fail to really implement processes and practices and tooling to address their part of that shared responsibility. And I guess the more you have applications that are operating interdependently, just one weakness can affect all of that. Well, yes. I mean, oftentimes what you can find is if a if you have a vulnerability in one application, somebody can use that to get in and um, sort of poke around. And, you know, you can mitigate that, but that requires really examining your practices and your processes to make sure that you've got the right measures in place. Now, this isn't really different than the way it's always been, right? Just because you ran your own data center, that still meant that you had to have the right kinds of security in your application to make sure that people couldn't go from one server to another and so forth. Um, it's, it's not enormously different, but you have to be aware of it, take responsibility for it, take measures for it, and, and also understand the way these things are done by the cloud providers because it's different than it traditionally was when you had everything on-prem. The, the phrase that gets used a lot is, um, in the old days, um, security was like a, uh, and there's a certain kind of a phrase for the kind of candy, but it's sort of hard on the outside and soft on the inside. You know, everybody's had those kind of candies where it's got a, yes. a, you know, a soft center. Well, that was the old model. The, the new model is um, defense in depth, where every element of your computing environment, both the infrastructure, which the cloud provider offers, but also all the things you do, that you put in place, all of them have to say, I need to have security measures in place for this particular item, this particular element. So you have security in depth. And if you're a user, you have to say, how do I do that within the context of this cloud provider I'm using? Right. And, and I guess that requires a, quite a big change of mindset for a lot of technology leaders where they're used to that hard on the outside, soft in the middle. Uh, where now you're looking to defend every aspect of your your technology infrastructure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a that's a uh, security practices have to be examined and improved, modif- modified, improved, uh, and so forth. So, 
you know, what I want to say is that as far as I'm aware, there's no, first of all, there's no evidence that the part that I've seen, no examples where the, any of the major cloud providers have fallen down on the security practices of their part of the responsibility. That, you know, people have penetrated their data centers or been able to hack into their stuff. Um, if you do that work that I just mentioned, it's pretty clear you can you can come up with a very good overall defense security posture. And many companies, very sophisticated, very large companies, have examined this question and concluded that in partnership with a cloud provider, they can improve their overall security posture compared to what if they did it all on their own. So... Yeah. I guess the cloud provider forces them to make decisions and to do things uh, that they wouldn't normally do if they were just relying on a locked room in the old days. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a I've, – I've often had the experience of when people are discussing security with me about cloud and go, well, what, how, does, how does it do X, Y, and Z? And I'll say, well, so how do you do that today? Oh well, we don't really do that today. So okay, well, um, so uh, fantastic. Well, well, Bernard, we could we could talk all day, uh, but but we podcasts short and sharp is what what keeps yeah. people coming back. So, could you tell us a little bit about where people can find you uh, and what sort of things they can approach you about, and then uh, we'll 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 say say goodbye. So. Sure. Well, you can go to my website, which is bernardgolden.com, or you can find me on Twitter at Bernard Golden. And either of those places are places that I'm at and hang out. And uh, I'm quite easy to reach on Twitter uh, as the nature of Twitter. Cool. And uh, so that's an easy way to find me. Fantastic. Well, we really appreciate your, your insight. And often we get uh, questions from uh, the customers that we've got within Origo, and if we get any, we'll reach out to you and, 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 and connect you. But thank you very much. I appreciate it. Take care. Well, Alex, thank you so much for inviting me. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you.